because all around town are going to be there, and we are going to make sure that camp is ready um, for students to come in July. <laughs> and then hopefully we'll be able to see God work on these. So join us for that. The other thing that I have is just a quick reminder um, that we do have a sign up for snacks, for bringing snacks Sunday mornings, and there's a clipboard over by the snack table in there. And a huge thank you for those of you who continue to bring snacks and continue to feed us in the morning. That's a huge help. And there is also a clipboard for helping to clean and being on the team that helps clean this place when we leave because we do share this building, obviously. And while we do have clipboards for that, we also have, or you have, the ability to sign yourself up online or through the Planning Center app. Um, so if you've ever volunteered or been involved in anything here, or if you've ever given us your email for anything, then uh, you're in the Planning Center app. And if you go to that app, you will be able to find a way to sign yourself up for snacks or for cleaning and be able to click yourself in for that. So if you're interested in providing snacks or if you want to recheck the schedule because you probably signed up at some point and you don't know, well, we send out reminders through that, or you could go in there and check that in the planning center app. Sound like a plan? Good? We all like snacks? Okay. I have one final, what's that? I'm getting, okay. One final announcement, and that is that next Saturday, um, our very own Creighton Faltinski is going to have a graduation party. This Saturday, that's, okay, this Saturday, next Saturday, it's the next Saturday that's going to take place, which is this Saturday, and so this Saturday, Creighton is having a graduation party, because he's graduating from high school, and so, as you can tell by his facial expressions, he would love to tell you about his party, and to invite you personally, and so today, if you could, Go up to Creighton, especially now during our social interaction time. Please go up to Creighton and ask him the details about his graduation party. And ask for that so that you can show up and that you can celebrate with him because we are just thrilled for him and so excited. Probably a big hug too, he's really a hugger. So <laughs> And that is all the announcements I have for you. So at this time, I'm going to invite you to your feet and to say hi to one another.
God, you are, you are so amazing, God. You are, you are here, you are present in this room right now, in our hearts right now. As, as we go about our lives, as we go about our days, you are always there, God. And I have been unable to see that before, but God, please just open my eyes to be able to see who you are, to see what you're working in my life, God. You said that you would continue to work in me from the day that I was born until the day that I died, God. And sometimes I'm blind to see that, and I just ask that you do some big things, some small things.
throughout the week, and the passage I'm giving you today is John 1.14, and in that uh, opening of John's gospel, speaking of Christ, uh, John writes the word, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, and uh, the Greek word logos means the expression of God. Uh, Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king, and in this sense, we really see him as the prophet. He is here to make God known to us. It says, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's what Jesus came to reveal to us by leaving this world and sending his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We can become incarnational of that as well. How can we show grace and truth into a world that really needs to see both? Truth means that God's probably going to have an argument with the culture. They're not going to agree about things. Uh, Grace means that we can deliver that truth in a way gentle, respectful, and and kind. So there's that tension that we learn to walk in. In a moment, we're going to hear a pass, our, our pastor preach from the Sermon on the Mount. And so let's really pray that grace and truth uh, is carried through Evan as he preaches this message. 
But uh, for you this week, how do you need to see grace? How do you need to see truth manifested in your world and in your life? How can we pray for you? How can we stand with you? How can we encourage you as our brothers and sisters uh, in faith? So uh, I guess Evan's the runner today because, well, he's built for it. Uh, and he has the mic. So if you have something, just... Uh, Raise your hand, Evan will get to you and uh, share with us, and then we will pray together. <laughs> so, so um, my name's Logan. So, seven months ago, we asked prayers for um, my in-laws' church and the pastor there. That's all kind of come to a head in the last in a way that the church body there has really yeah, affected things in a way that my in-laws have actually left that church. Um, that church that my father-in-law grew up in, my wife grew up in, and it's because that congregation has decided to push back against everything that the Bible teaches. Um, and so just prayers for that congregation, prayers for the ministry, prayers for my in-laws, which is kind of a Thank you. Okay, and that's a good reminder for us to pray for all churches, you know, that you know, we preach biblical truths and we don't become as Christians, but remain biblical as Christians. I love the sound of screaming babies. That's just kind of so cool to know they're a part of our. Andy? I'm Andy. Um, to tie into the grace and truth, uh, I just want to start by, I guess, asking prayer for me. Um, just that I would be able to show grace um, with the girl, which I'm trying into my request. Um, my mother-in-law this morning, um, but on a regular ongoing basis, she likes to bake me and I like to rise to that place. We just, that kind of relationship. But just to, to be able to love on her and express that love continually. Um, Jim's not here this morning because he's had to take her to first the urgent care and now the ER. And we're not really sure what's going on. She's not feeling well. He's Providing things are doing weird things. And so if we could just pray for her, her name is Thank you, Andy. Thank you. 
said, Camp Palawasa is coming up uh, in July, and myself, along with Logan, are going to direct uh, the high school camp, and we could definitely use some prayers for staff. We, we had staff, and then we've had uh, some, some trouble filling all of the positions. We have some people doubling up positions, and it, it'd be nice to uh, just relieve the pressure off of us. <laughs> but yeah, we, we could definitely use a lot more help. Absolutely. Specific uh, staff needs? Uh, we need an activities director, uh, female counselors are a huge need, and a worship leader. Okay. All right. So, asset is to case God might be, you know, like a little conviction down on us. That's something we can do. I, I promise you, it will be the best week of your life here today. Okay, anything else? All right, let's uh, take a moment and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, now, we are so grateful, Lord, that you loved us when we didn't deserve love, that you showed to us grace. Uh, you came to us speaking the truth about who you we are, and uh, and that meant that we needed to repent when we heard that truth. Um, and God, thank you that as you grant repentance, you also grant forgiveness and uh, mercy and, and goodness to us. And, and Lord, you've called us now as your as your disciples to be disciple makers in this world and to carry that grace and carry that truth where wherever we may go and so Lord we depend upon you for that uh, we know that you're the source of grace and truth we are not and so we pray God that you will pour uh, this into us and especially in our situations of life that we're walking through give us the opportunity Lord in these situations um, to just declare the love of Christ people around us Father, uh, uh, we have a request come in through the live stream. Uh, Tetiana has shared that her, that Anya's dad uh, has a son from another relationship. After 31 years, they finally met. It did not go well. Lord, we pray for healing in that relationship. We pray for the young man, Jared, who so longs to have a connection with his father, that God, you would just heal wounds that might be existing there. And, and God, most of all, we pray that uh, you would draw them to you, that they would know you as their heavenly Father. And uh, in that love and in that knowledge, they might grow in their relationship with one another. Um, Lord, we pray for uh, Logan's uh, parents and, uh, who are dealing with a, a difficult situation with a church that seems to be drifting from the Bible, from its mission. Uh, whatever the case may be. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would be with them as they seek a, a place where they can grow and a place where they can uh, dig into your word and, and grow in their relationship with you. But we also pray for uh, churches that are struggling, struggling to reach a culture and sometimes drifting from our mission when we do that. God, may you keep us true. May you remind us that 
us, the body of Christ, we're here to proclaim this grace and this truth that Christ has shown us. We pray, God, that you would help all churches, especially common ground here, Lord, to be strong uh, in our biblical stance. Uh, Lord, we pray for Mandy as she desires to uh, love her mother-in-law with grace. And we pray that you would just help her to not rise to the bait, uh, to not be triggered by things, but to instead, Lord, just depend upon your spirit to pour forth um, your, your fruits in her and uh, towards her mother-in-law, Arlene. And we pray for Arlene right now, God, that you would give the doctors in the ER the utmost skill and wisdom to be able to discern what's going on. And, uh, and God, we pray you'll bring healing and health. Be with Tim as he cares for the right now. And we pray that you work in this situation in a, in a way that brings you glory. Lord, we lift up Corinne's family and others that are uh, without power now in Colorado due to this heavy, wet snow that has come upon them. Uh, God, to sustain them, get them through this time. We pray, Lord, that uh, power would be restored, roads would be opened, and that the snow would melt and turn into water that would just nourish the land around them. So we thank you for the moisture, God, but uh, help them endure the form in which they have received it. And we lift up Corinne's little sister to you and, and pray, God, that, again, truth would be something that would just be thrust in her face, that she cannot run away from it, and uh, that she cannot hide from it. We pray for uh, for her boyfriend, too, that God, while he's out um, distributing knowledge about you that isn't true, that God, you would challenge that, that you would begin to make him question what he believes and what he's thinking, and, and that God, you might draw him to you in a true saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for camps at Camp Halawasa. We thank you for what this particular camp's been doing over the last or so, and as they seek to continue to just impact the lives of teenagers uh, with the kingdom of God, that, Lord, you would meet in every need that they have and supply according to all, all that needs to be accomplished for this week of camp, especially high school camp. Thank you for Logan, Caleb, and their willingness to lead in this camp. We pray, God, that you would bring to them uh, gifted people, people that you have called, people that you have anointed to lead the worship, uh, to uh, to be in the tents with the girls and uh, and counsel them and, and, and disciple them. Uh, and, and Lord, to have someone come in there and just provide a lot of fun for them because, Lord, we know that you value joy. And some of these kids come from situations where there's not a lot of joy, you know, especially in their homes. And so, God, we pray that you would cause the week of camp, or all the weeks of camp, uh, to be weeks that are filled with your presence, filled with your joy, filled with laughter, filled with fun, but especially, Lord, just filled with the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And now we pray for our pastor, Lord, as heaven comes forth to bring your word from uh, the Sermon on the Mount to us. We ask, God, that you would put your words right into his lips and that everything that comes forth from him would be of your spirit and that lord we would be uh, that we would be willing to allow those words to sink deep deep into our hearts deep into our spirits and even if they're painful words lord uh, words that would cause us to hunger for your righteousness and thirst for your righteousness so god here we are uh, we give ourselves to you again and we pray god fill us uh, fill us with 
this whole knowledge of all of your grace and all of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, church. Thank you for leading in that time. Uh, we're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount today. Continuing on, on to study what was Jesus' introductory message um, at the start of his ministry. He had just declared, repent for the kingdom is, is near. And then he calls four disciples to follow him. And now he's been healing people. He's been preaching this message all around. This crowd has gathered, and he sits down on an outside and teaches. And he teaches the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as we have been looking at the last few weeks, and that we'll continue to look at today, uh, he begins the Sermon on the Mount with these eight or nine blessed statements, the Beatitudes, as we call them. Um, and so we're going to read this section of the Sermon on the Mount again, this introduction to this very important key message of the, of the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And as we do so, um, I want us to really consider three key questions here um, that we're going to look at. So we look at how Jesus began this teaching that really comprises just the main message of what he came to say. And these three key questions really are, who is blessed? And we're going to learn that from the Beatitudes, really who is blessed? We learned a bit about um, how blessed are the poor in spirit last week, and we learned to get a picture of what that means. But what really does it mean to be blessed then? And then what do blessed people do? What do blessed people do? How then should we live if we are that category of blessed people? And so that's really the three questions that we're going to consider as we look at the Beatitudes again this week. But if you have not gone there already, please find your way to Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. We'll also have the words on the screen. But we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 11 again. And then we're going to continue to look at the Beatitudes here. We're going to continue to look here at this introduction beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way that they persecute. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right, so this is the Beatitudes. And as we've continued to do this, hopefully that's become just part of your memory. So we've gone over the Beatitudes over and over. We're going to go over that again today. And first, we're going to consider this question, okay, who is blessed? Um, here last week, Nick talked on blessed are the poor in spirit. And he talked how that really is the beginning of the Beatitudes for a very important reason, because the Beatitudes are not actually just like this individual list of like isolated statements that have no connection, but it's actually this beautiful whole that all begins and depends on that first one, the Spirit of the poor and the Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it taught us that Jesus began that way for a reason, right? Because this is essentially the welcome of the kingdom, that this is actually kind of a requirement. This is 
what leads a person to repent and believe that this is essentially what Jesus had already said, repentance. The person who recognizes they're the poor in spirit, the person who recognizes they have nothing to offer God for entrance into the kingdom. And then Nick taught us that when grace is embraced, well, then blessed are we, because then we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And citizens of the kingdom of God are people who live in close proximity to Jesus here. Live under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And so, really, at the very beginning here, it starts with that statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, essentially, who repented and believed as Jesus started. Or at least introduced it way back in chapter 4. And as we talked about, that word blessed, or blessed, that Jesus used, it comes from the Greek word makarios. Um, which, if you're looking for baby names, this is actually like the trendy like pastor name for babies. There are a lot of like people I know who have babies named Mac, right? Short for Makarios. It's like the real trendy thing to do now. Um, but what Makarios means is blessing. In order, yeah, actually true. <laughs> they love their Greek. Um, but Makarios means blessed, or happy, or happier, or flourishing. Is this person? Um, and it's often used as an expression of joy as well. So if something great has happened to someone, then you would exclaim, Makarios, as if to say, like, congratulations, like, happy are you, and I'm happy for you. And you might be surprised to learn that actually Jesus wasn't the only one um, to use this word Makarios, and to use it in this way, in, in this format of Beatitudes. Um, and if you go through much of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see Jesus, because he is claiming to be king, because he is claiming to retake control of the earth from the, from the human kingdoms and the earthly kingdoms, He's often reteaching or correcting um, some of the other teachings of the day, some of the other earthly teachings. And you'll hear this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says things like, you have heard it said, but I say. And when he does that, he's correcting some of the common teachings of the day, some of the extra biblical ideas that have been floating around. And while the Beatitudes don't begin with that statement that you've heard it said, but I say, they are a very similar format to a way that has been taught a lot. And that word makarios was used a lot because everyone was trying to determine, well, who is blessed? Who is happy? What is happiness? How do we get this happiness without just naming our kids that? What is something else that we can do? And so when Jesus does this, he is essentially saying, well, this is my truth. You might have heard, or at least this is the truth. You might have heard it said by your grandpa, this is who was happy or who was blessed, or by your ninth grade history teacher, or by like some guy on the radio who wants to sell you something. But Jesus is correcting that teaching and saying, this is what I say. This is truly the blessed, happy person. And so Jesus, he's actually critiquing and fixing a teaching on what it means to be happy, what it means to be blessed. So I'm going to show you this, uh, this other list of Beatitudes um, that was written sometime between 200 and 175 BC by actually another guy named Jesus, um, Jesus ben Sirach or Jesus, son of Sirach. He's sometimes just called Ben Sirach, Ben Sirach. Um, but he was a Jewish scribe and religious teacher who wrote a, wrote a book called The Wisdom of Ben Sirach, or The Wisdom of Jesus Ben Sirach. Um, and this was a very popular book with the rabbis in and around Israel at the time that Jesus came about. And so this would have really shaped public opinion on who is blessed. And what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be happy? And so Jesus has his eight or nine Beatitudes. And let's look at Ben Sirach's. Kind of the popular, uh, popular opinion of the day. He says this, Mr. Ben Sirach, that there are nine who come to mind as blessed, a tenth whom my tongue proclaims, the man who finds joy in his children, 
and the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Okay, we can stop there. We notice some differences right away. But if you notice, there's a very clear difference, even just in some of the first few words, because who is blasphemy right away? The man. Okay, and this isn't actually just like a general way of saying like mankind or people. Um, public opinion was who was blessed? Actually, men. Men. Not women, children, or slaves at this time. Uh, when it comes to the kind of divine blessing, the kind of good happiness that we're talking about with Makarios, public opinion at the time was, it's a man. They're the ones who experienced this. But Jesus actually says, he doesn't say the man, he says the one, right? Men, women, children, slaves, anyone who's repented, believed, right? So right off the bat, there's a big difference. I would say point Jesus. Um, but really, when you look at that, like it seems like it kind of makes sense. It's not that bad, right? Like you've got good kids. Um, the downfall of your enemies doesn't really fit with the whole peacemakers idea very much, but that was popular opinion. Okay, we'll continue on with Ben Sarah. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible woman, the one who does not plow with an ox and a donkey combined. So it's good to have a smart wife. We can all agree with that. And who doesn't plow with a donkey? An ox and a donkey, right? I know none of you ladies would do that. You're not like those ditzes who would do that. No, no, you'd never do it. But also, this is speaking because oxes were expensive, donkeys are cheap. This is also the guy that's like, his business is booming. Like he's got all the equipment, right? He's got plenty of oxen. He doesn't have to use a donkey for that, all right? So business is booming, got a smart wife. Happy is the one who does not sing with a tongue, who does not serve an inferior. Meekness doesn't jive with that phrase. Willingly placing yourself under the authority of another. Okay. Happy is the one who finds a friend who speaks to attentive ears. Okay, so also this person's popular, well-respected. People want to hear from them. Not exactly someone who's persecuted and someone who has false things said about them. How great is the one who finds wisdom? But none is greater than the one who fears the Lord. Fear of the Lord surpasses all else. Who can we compare the one who has he ends on a good note. But so this is the list, right? This is the list that honestly, if I wasn't a Christian, I would look at and say, like, yeah, he's great. Um, like, who would argue this aside from probably women? But like this for me would look great. It's like, yeah, who doesn't want like a smart wife and like to have all the oxen and to have all this? Like it seems to kind of make sense. Like when you look at the person that has all this together in their life, it almost seems like, yeah, that looks like a person who's blessed and happy. And great, and they seem to have it all together. Their circumstances are great, and so it almost looks like I don't know, maybe like God loves them more or something. Like they seem to have it all together. But obviously, we see Jesus's list is very, very different, almost in every way. Because who is it that can be happier? Who is it that is happy in the kingdom of God? Well, first off, it's not just the guys, and it's not just the guys whose circumstances are great, because those circumstances really have nothing to do with eternity anyway. And Jesus' list, it's not dependent on all those circumstances, right? Dependent on that one circumstance, whether or not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, follower of Jesus, a recipient of grace, that stark that Nick taught on last week, begins there the grace that we've received from God. So this is the one who can be happy. This is the one who's blessed. It's not the one who has all these different things together in their life. It's the one who's received grace, right? We know that better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand days elsewhere. And that later, say that it's better 
you know, to place your hands in God's, to place your life in God's hands and to gain the entire world. Right? That is who was blessed. That is who was blessed. Not the perspectives that we always have on circumstances and that the world thinks of. And the structure of the Beatitudes um, actually is really key for this as well, um, to show us who is blessed. And because the Beatitudes, they actually have a really beautiful two-part structure where there's this distinct group of like the first four um, and then the last four. And in the original language, actually these two halves have exactly 36 words in each half. Um, and the first four, they all start with the same letter. So they're all starting with the same Greek letter there. Um, and the first four are definitely not like virtues or good things where they do not jive with Ben Sarah's right? They're not things that we would look to and say like, okay, if this is what a person's life is like, they're not the person that would hold their head high or be happy, right? Instead, these first four are what most scholars refer to as the downward life, or really like the deteriorating life. Um, these are not things that would lead a person to what we would probably consider as happiness or blessed, right? These are not like the up and to the right life, foreign spirit, morning, meek, these kind of things. But yet, Jesus says here, blessed are these Blessed foreign spirit, the more, the meek, those are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And even with this downward life, it's a recognition that is not a barrier to happiness, to blessedness. And the reason is, because it's where grace is, right? Jesus began in chapter 4, repent and believe. And Jesus will tell us over and over again that it's the downward life that he's looking for. It's that foreign spirit. It's the recognition that we have nothing to bring, nothing to offer. It's what John the Baptist said when he said that he must increase and I must decrease. It's when Jesus said in John chapter 12, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. And later, Jesus would instruct his followers to take up your cross and follow Taking up a cross, laying down our lives, probably lead to this world. That's the, the downward life is what this, this life looks like, right? The downward life is the one who grace forward, the one who repents and believes, right? And I think Jesus begins here because really it's when we recognize that we don't have anything to offer, that we can truly repent, believe, where we recognize that the only difference between us and the world is the grace that we've received. Like happy are we, blessed are we, because of the grace we have received. It's that verse four. Oh, what happens, or what difference does grace make? Well, the next four turn into what is often referred to as the upward life, right? Um, the blessed person who, because of God's grace, um, this is what citizens of heaven look like. This is what grace does in and through us. Pursues mercy, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And this upward life um, is described by a lot of people, but allow me to defer um, to A.B. Simpson, a great theologian and founder of the CMA. He wrote this about it. And he says, now begins the spiritual ascent. The first step is to love others, that tender charity born out of our own poverty of spirit and our own deep sense of nothingness and failure. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the merciful, 
from love to man is but a step to love of God. And so the next step is blessed are the pure in heart. And this is literally the single in heart, the people that have but one aim to please and glorify God. Third step is this advancing scale that brings us to positive and practical service for Christ and others. Blessed are the peacemakers. And this does not just mean mere settling of personal grievances between people, but the sacred ministry of making peace between man and God, the reconciling of the world to him, the seeking and the saving of the lost. And the last stage in spiritual life, suffering for Christ's sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Christianity, Simpson says, has its coronation in victorious suffering and patient submission to the will of God. So I think Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount here for a reason, right? It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a reminder to us that we are called to something greater than we can do on our own. We're called to be someone that we cannot be on our own. We're called to do things all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at and think, there's no way that this is absolutely impossible. Because it's all dependent on his grace. And it all flows out of his grace that recognizing our need recognizing our brokenness, our sin, recognizing, just as we sang earlier, I need you to soften my heart for God's grace to work in and through us. And if you've read many of the passages that talk about doing good works or loving others throughout the New Testament, look around them and notice how they're almost always flanked by other statements that say things like how the love that we show to others is dependent, actually, on the love we receive from God, or our love from God. It's actually, because I have loved you, you love others. Or when we look at like the fruit of the Spirit, it's all dependent on keeping in step with the Spirit. And it's the Spirit who is doing that work through us. And it's a recognition that it all starts with our time with Him, becoming like Him, and then we do what He does. But it all comes from Him, goes out of us. But it begins with Him recognizing that this upward life, the life of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, flows from his grace that's been given to us. We cannot do it on our own. And I think this is a really important thing to recognize, because I really want you to hear clearly for me that Christianity is not primarily about right action, right? When Jesus came, he didn't just say, okay, like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then at the end, like, there will be a scorecard, and um, if you measure up, great. Like, that's not what happened, right? In fact, I think it would be a lot easier if that is what happened. Like, Jesus just came, you know, with like, I don't know, like a handout. And he had like 10 things on that handout, 10 things that you're supposed to do. You could call it like commandments or something. He's like, okay, you know, I'll give you this. And if you just do this and check them off, um, then you're good. And like, I'll see you in heaven. Okay, so ready, go. Right, like, that would have been a lot easier. And this could have made Jesus' time on earth like really quick, right? He could have been here for 15 minutes. Hey, here's 10 things for you to do. All right, see you in a bit. But he didn't do that, did he? And that's kind of the frustrating thing about Jesus is he didn't just make it like super simple and easy like that. He actually seemed to be completely opposed to making it easy and simple, right? Like, why couldn't he just give us a list of things or just say like, by the way, so you guys know, top 20% get in. You know, it's kind of like college. You know, just make sure you keep up ahead of the other guy and you're good, right? Like, he didn't do that. And I think the reason that he didn't, the reason that he was against that, is because he wants us to know him, right? 
And blessed is the one essentially who's in relationship with him. And so he doesn't give us a list of morality that we're supposed to live up to and hope that he's, I don't know, grading on a curve or something to hope that we measure up. He invites us into this tension to realize that we actually have this need for him. And we have to know him in order for anything, in order to realize where our power comes from, in order to realize that the upward life only happens because of his grace, through his grace. We recognize that we need him. Because here's the thing, if he left us just with a list of things to do, here's 10 things to complete, there's one thing that we would not need. That's him. Just got our list. We just got, I don't know, the ways that we can do this thing. But there's nothing that he wants for us more than him. There's nothing that he created us for more than him, in relationship with him. And you know, Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount um, that there will be a lot of people um, who are doing good things, but who don't actually know. And I think this is kind of a, a warning for us. Because I think we can go out and say, like, yeah, we're going to change the world, we're going to serve the poor, we're going to care for the fatherless, we're going to do all these things, and we're going to work for justice. But if we don't get him in that, and if we don't know him, then all that is really nothing. Jesus says this in chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus here calls people who are doing good works evildoers. Why? Because they had no connection to him. No relationship to him. And religious behavior, even the good things, like bringing about justice and, and healing people and performing these miracles, these things, our own strength, disconnected from his grace, it's not. It's not. Because in that case, we're not showing people the kingdom of God. We're showing people the kingdom, but without the king. And you cannot have the kingdom without the king. It has to be all about him. And so if all we do is just, you know, commit ourselves um, to good works and commit ourselves to doing all these things, but we forget about Jesus or we walk away from him, we should honestly want nothing to do with that. Happy to Jesus especially if we want righteousness, justice, mercy, peace. That upward life, if that's what we're looking for, if that's what it means to bless and give glimpses of that to the world, it has to begin with him. It has to have its focus and its center on him. That there is no kingdom of God without the king. It has to be all about him. And that's actually just the first half of the Beatitudes, um, because if you notice, in each statement, a lot of times it's easier to focus on the first half, um, but the second half of each statement has this kind of tricky little promise attached to it, doesn't it, right? The meek will inherit the earth, those who mourn will be comforted, the pure in heart will be God, that's like a big one. Um, looking at this and what it means to be blessed, I think what this is teaching us is that the kingdom of God, the promises of a blessed life, it's a present reality, and it's a future hope. And we kind of live in the tension of that, 
right? We live in the now and the not yet. And you see in these like eight blessings here, we can see exactly how Jesus was teaching this tension and seeing that by the simple practice of looking at the tense, right? So notice how the first one and the last one of the Beatitudes are in the present tense, aren't they? Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the middle six in the Beatitudes are all future tense, aren't they? Okay, so the first four, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they what? For they will be comforted. Next line, they will inherit the earth. Next line, they will be shown mercy, and on and on down. And we see that tension there, um, the tension between present and the future. And Jesus bookends it with, is the kingdom, is the kingdom, and in between, there are these promises. And this is a reminder to us that we live in the tension, really, between the way that the world is after the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and the way that the world one day will be, returns, make everything new. So we live in this like time between the times, right? Now and the not yet. The kingdom is here, but not in full. And so those who hunger and thirst, like they're not always we see glimpses of that and the kingdom of heaven and, and these promises are beginning to come true like since jesus came and began or inaugurated the kingdom these things are beginning to come true and we can see glimpses of it and we're called to live into these glimpses but it will not always happen but the rule and reign of jesus will one day and in the meantime we're living in this tension so we have this blessing of the kingdom today the kingdom is we have that in the present tense. But then there's hope for these other things to come. These other things we won't always get to. But even when we don't see these things, we do have the hope the kingdom of God unfold. And so what it means to be blessed is that we get the kingdom of God now. And we're called to live into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is the king of our lives. But yet we live in this tension that there is blessing and hope for the future. It's not here today. It's not here in full. And what we're supposed to do with that, I think, what we're supposed to do with that, first off, is hunger and thirst for his kingdom here in full. And I think we're called to live in such a way as to show glimpses of that. You live as if the kingdom was here in full. That even if People are still walking around, slapping one another, like they will not do when the kingdom is here. We can turn the other cheek. Right? And we still live as if the kingdom of heaven is here in full. And I think we hunger and thirst for it. And just looking at that person, hungering and thirst. I don't know why our slideshow program doesn't like numbers, but they're both number one. Because they're both so important. I just, I just don't even think that one is less important than the other. Okay, but this. This reason number one, uh, hungering and thirsting for God's kingdom here and now. I think this is the reason that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus like gets into our business um, and gets into some of those uncomfortable uh, topics in our lives. I think it's the reason he says things like, you know, murder isn't just when you kill someone. It's in your heart when you hate them. Right? You hate someone when you go through murder. Essentially, like if you wish that they weren't in your life, that they weren't even in your community, 
That is murder, Jesus says. But Jesus says that when you look at someone lustfully, that's the same as committing adultery. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? Like, be a people who mean what you say versus something different than you actually believe in your heart. Um, he says, be committed in marriage. Be committed to loving one another. Jesus says, even love your enemies and pray for those who are persecuting you. Right? And he lays out what righteousness looks like. And every time, even the scribes and the Pharisees recognize that they don't even match that. And I think the point of all that, the point, the reason that Jesus is getting into all these uncomfortable situations and he has such a high standard is because that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the kingdom of God will be like. That in the kingdom of God, not only will we not kill one another, but we will not hate one another. Right? And not only will people say nice things, they say nice things today, here, but they'll mean it. Right? <laughs> and not only will we love our friends, of course we love our friends, but in the kingdom of heaven, We'll love our enemies. Right? Like, this is the ideal. This is what the kingdom of heaven in full looks like. And that's what Jesus is doing all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. This is the ideal. This is what I want, Jesus is saying. And it's supposed to stir in us this hunger and thirst for his kingdom, because then he points it on us and says, don't you want that too? Like, I actually made you for that. This is what I want, and this is what I made you for. Don't you want heaven on earth? This is actually what he made us for. Right? And so I think Sermon on the Mount, it's all about Jesus saying, here are the things I want. Don't you want that too? Because actually, you should want it. C.S. Lewis very famously said in his book, Mere Christianity, that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is why the scripture refers to God's people right, as strangers, exiles, aliens, as we know that the world as it is, it's not what we were made for. We were made for so much more. Lewis goes on. He says, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for the of the And on the other, never to of which they are only kind of happy, and mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. I think what Lewis is describing is essentially also what Paul in the book of Romans would say when he says that all creation groans as if in like the pains of child. When is this going to come? When is this going to happen? Waiting for everything to make, be made right. This hunger and thirst. But I think as I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks, I've recognized that I don't always have this hunger and this thirst. I think oftentimes we don't always have the same desire. We don't always have the same groaning for the kingdom. Especially because most of the time, I think we can recognize that our lives are pretty good. They're not actually that bad. Um, many of us can look at the first four Beatitudes, that downward, that deteriorating life, and not really find ourselves on that list, right? And first off, if that is the case, praise God. Praise God if that is the case. 
Um, and please don't ever hear that the gospel is only for the broken and the mourning and the sad. Um, and that just because God is near to those people that he's far from those who have faith. That is not the case at all. And I know there's sometimes a bit of a spirit in our country that says, like, well, if you are doing well, and if your life is really good, then, like, you're probably just a horrible person and a racist. And maybe that is the case for you. But hopefully. (laughs) But the point is, don't hear that. Like, if you can honestly say that your life is good, it's going well, you can't see yourself in the first four Beatitudes, praise God. That is something to be thankful for. That is not something to be ashamed of. That is something to celebrate and something that should lead to gratitude, right? To thankfulness. Thankfulness and gratitude because, first off, it's not normal. It's not normal when the kingdom of God is not involved. It will be when it is here, but that's just a glimpse of the kingdom. That is a glimpse. And I think it comes with a lot of responsibility as well. That if we could recognize, okay, our lives are good, uh, we have to recognize we need to continue to press on for more. Can't be satisfied with what we do have, but to have this kind of holy discontentment to realize this is just a glimpse. It's not here in full. And it's definitely not here for everyone. That even if lives are for the most part good, there are people all around us who are mourning, who are meek, who are experiencing these things. So we can't just sit back and enjoy those things. But we are called to provide those glimpses, to hunger and thirst for that to be here in full. So I think in order to continue to grow that desire, and we do have to recognize that, like, you know, a lot of our desires are often met. You know, if we're honest, most of us have probably, you know, slept in a comfortable bed this week or eaten what we wanted to eat, and, like, in general, lives are pretty good. And so it's really easy in those cases to just kind of step back and say, like, you know, honestly, I'm fine. And we're fine. And like it's all just fine. But what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is that it is. And he would not have had to come if it could have just given a little tantrum. Clive Staples Lewis again in his book The Weight of Glory. He says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to continue making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by, by the offer of vacation of the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think the call on us who are blessed, who have been recipients of grace, is to have that desire, hunger and thirst, to recognize the offer that's been given. Recognize what the kingdom of God in full truly means. When we look at the world and we see that the world really looks nothing like what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, right? that there is really a big gap between the way things are and the way they will be, may we turn to Jesus and Say, just fill us with your spirit. Fill us and send us out to give people a taste, give people a glimpse of what your kingdom will look like. And as we look to the future and as we see what it is going to be like, we pray that God would give us a heart that desires to bring that here, to build that here, to partner with him in building this kingdom here in our lives and all around us.
where we cry out to God and invite the Holy Spirit to say that will you through me provide glimpses of your kingdom today so that other people will be able to taste and see other people would have that same hunger and that same desire for the way that things will be same desire that we have because I think if we truly have that desire for the kingdom of heaven here then that the life that displays it, that upward life, I think flows out of it. Because that's recognition of the grace that we've received. That's recognition of the way that things are, but not the way that they will be. And so we're called to live as citizens of the kingdom today. We're called to display those things. To be pure in heart. To give mercy. To be peacemakers. To give people a taste of the kingdom of heaven, though it is not here in full. That it would stir in them desire and hunger for the king. So I think if we truly want it, then we live that out. So I think our, our prayer as we end with Beatitudes here is to look at those, to recognize who is blessed and who we are. We are recipients of grace. And what that means is we have this blessing and presence of being able to live as citizens of the king. It's not here in full yet. And so we hunger and we thirst for the day that it is when we live in a way that shows glimpses of that. Let's pray. So, Father God, we just thank you for your grace. We acknowledge we are poor in spirit that we have brought nothing to the table. But you have done it all. You've done it all. We have just responded to your call to repent and believe. And we just thank you for your Holy Spirit's empowerment of us um, to get us over ourselves in order to come to repentance, in order to believe in you. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit continue to fill us now as we live into this high and holy calling of being citizens of your kingdom, as we live into this high calling of being a reflection of you, who you are. We thank you that we get to live in close proximity to Jesus, but then we look out at the world and we see that so many are not. That so many are not. We just ask that your spirit continue to empower us in a way that allows us to live in ways that show these glimpses, that make people hungry and thirst for your kingdom, for the king. And God, for those of us who um, just recognize that we have had so many glimpses in our lives of this kingdom. Would you just continually remind us of this great responsibility that we have to display it to others? Um, to speak about how that is not because of anything we've done or anything that we've turned, but just it's a picture of your kingdom. All will be able to live. And so, God, as we go from this place, we just ask that you would continually teach us how it is that you're calling us to live. Continually strengthen us in faith. Just bring us closer to the King, your Son, Jesus. So now we just turn to you in worship. We turn to you in worship as we live in the now and the not yet. We just declare that it is well, knowing that though we don't live in the way that the world will be in full just yet, we hold on to the hope and the promise we have in the future. So God, we turn to you in praise. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Talking to you, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, we're going to sing uh, It Is Well with My Soul.
because of him, not a lot of people know. I would sure hope all of you know. Um, and most people know the story behind it as well, but I'm going to tell the story just in case people don't know. Um, the, this hymn was written by uh, a man who was an accomplished lawyer. He had a lot of investments. He had a wife and family. Involved in his church, obviously good, good Christian man that was well off, um, and obviously the story doesn't start good and then end good. <laughs> um, in the late 1800s, um, his first tragedy was his son of four years died of scarlet fever, which was awful for him and his wife. Around the same time the Chicago fires happened, and many of his investments that he had burned away. Losing his son and most of his income, uh, he decided to take his family on a vacation to England to join D.L. Moody on his uh, crusade. Um, and he sent his wife and his three daughters off. Um, as he had things to attend to back to the States. Um, while they were on their trip, he received word that the ship sank in what was at the day the most tragic shipwreck to have happened, and is the second most tragic to have happened uh, next to the Titanic. Um, and of the people who survived, his wife was one, and his three daughters were not. Um, he received a telegram from his wife saying, I, I don't know what to do. Our daughter's dying and they're next. Um, he was the Job of his time. He lost everything. Um, his family, he lost his income. He lost, um, he lost a lot. And so he got on a boat and he goes to join his wife in England. And the captain calls him up. To, to the deck and he says this is the spot that we believed that the ship sank that had your family on and this is the spot where he penned the words um, it is well so and I think it is only because he understood the Serrano he understood that Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, um, that he was able to write those things, to understand that there is future and hope in the kingdom of God. So uh, that explanation is because sometimes we can sing old tiny words um, like attended and just kind of gloss over it because it doesn't make sense. But there is intention to those words. And there's meaning to them. They're not just weird words put together. Uh, so there's there's the meaning, and we can um, sing it and actually understand what's going on. Thank you. 
city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Therefore, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So grace and peace, common ground. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. 